Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hey everyone, I'm Guile. I tweet at Door Podcast, and tonight I'm joined with joined by Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky, and you can find me at the Chickren on Twitter. And Lot. Hi, I'm Lot, and you can find me at uh, Lady of Tarth-Post on Tumblr. And we have a couple of our occasional gents with us tonight. We have Devin. Hi, I'm Devin. You can find me at GD Harpo on Twitter or Tumblr. And Jake. I'm Jake, and you can't find me. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> we have so many of these now. Like, <laughs> fuck you. No, people. I won't tell you where I am. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight's episode, we're starting off a new series. We've decided to take a little bit of a hiatus from Tyrion's chapters. And one of the one of the <laughs> things that we uh, I know, you guys. Um, one of the things that we're going to do is a couple of years ago, we put together a survey about people's favorite chapters in the entirety of A Song of Ice and Fire and tabulated the results. And I actually kept track of what everyone on the podcast picked. And we went back and looked at what chapters we chose as our favorites that weren't ones that we already talked about. So basically, um, not Jamie no, and Brienne chapters. No Jamie, Brienne, <laughs> Cersei, or Catelyn chapters. And oddly enough, and we probably should have thought about this, no one had any Tyrion chapters in their top ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, Damn it. Should have been an indicator. Damn. So we're calling this series our our favorite chapters. And we'll probably I think we have five or six of them planned for the next five or six episodes, and then we'll pick them up um, later on in the year. So our chapter tonight that we're going to cover is John 2 in A Dance with Dragons. And so, as you can imagine, there's spoiler warnings for literally all of A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones and our standard trigger warnings for rape. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it was really kind of exciting to talk about John. Like, he's, yeah. you know, really the main character, and we've never <laughs> been in his head before. <laughs> so it was... Um, you know, really, it was, I mean, frankly, it was very exciting to be out of Tyrion's head and into Jon's head, but just um, talking about things, you know, we'll, we'll talk about things that I don't think, you know, we've ever talked about on this podcast well, before. Well, that's because I feel like hell has probably frozen over. Like, I can't believe that Lot volunteered to be on this episode. I don't know how it happened. I think this is a clerical <laughs> error. Because I'm like, I am not excited. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, I'm like... Put me like, back in Tyrion's head, please. Oh, my God. No. I have something special lot just for you. Well, not just for you, but mainly for you in the notes of this chapter. So okay. um, I hope that you, you know, I hope that you enjoy it. I so come around. All right. <laughs> come around. I'm, yeah. So you guys are Guile, you didn't say, but this is this was one of mine, right? I oh, assume that's how it got here. I think it was your your top non Jamie or Brienne or Cersei or Cat chapter. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, okay, perfect. <laughs> and yes, this does mean that there's a very strong possibility that we'll be covering a Danny chapter, not the spring, but sometimes. Oh God, karma! <laughs> also, also not me. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will like it. So anyway, we are in John 2, A Dance with Dragons, and the scene opens on John. He is ruminating on this letter he doesn't really want to sign. Um, Dolorous Ed brings Gillian for an audience, and she starts to kneel, but John tells her that she doesn't have to kneel for him. That's just for kings. Foreshadowing. Um, He asks Gilly about the babies, her and Mance Raiders, and you kind of get the sense that John is stealing himself for what he's going to force Gilly to do. And she thinks... She thinks he's going to tell her something about Mance as we find out that Val's been begging Stannis for his life. Another scene that it would have been nice to actually see, I feel like. But John tells her that, no, it's not about Mance. It's about his baby and how it's up to Gilly to save him. And kind of what's curious is we don't get to read John actually telling Gilly what he wants her to do. We just see the aftermath of that conversation and then his explanation of why. Which is that? Oh, don't some, you feel like it's just that she figures it out without him saying? Oh, I thought that he. No, I, I don't. I, I took it as we just don't see that moment. 
Hmm, that's interesting though, because yeah, I never. I I you know I always assumed it was just she just is you know just, fairly bright and just is okay. like shit. Yeah, Sam, that's what I thought reading okay. it. I mean, I mean, it makes more sense because it felt weird to me that we didn't see it. So I I totally read it a different way, but I think your guys' way probably makes a little bit more sense. So you know, John's explanation is really that someday soon Melisandre is going to be looking for King's blood, and Mansa's son will be in grave danger. You know, Gilly knows, you know, she gets it, but obviously she doesn't want to leave her son behind. And, you know, we hear John, I think this is his first instance of where he's thinking, kill the boy. And and he forces himself to stay cold to her pleas and tells her that if she takes both boys, the king's men will be after her. And, you know, there's this little, this tiny, you know, it's like a a one sentence passage that kind of kills me. And it's, you know, we saved him, Sam and me, please, please, my lord, we saved him from the cold. And it's just it kind of gets back to that everything that Gilly herself has been through up to this point, everything that she survives and, you know, really, you know, saved her son from, and now she has to give him up. Yeah, and it's no, just, I, uh, I hate it, John, so much in the scene. <laughs> I am one of those women that would have shrieked at him. Fuck you, John. Fuck you. I, I would not be able to do this. Uh, okay. No, 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 no. Do you think? Do you think that she went along with it because she saw it as necessary, or because she's just kind of used to being bossed around? Essentially, that's why she's traumatized. She's been a victim her whole life. She just yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not. I mean, I think, and he knows that. I don't know. She and he cares played about on that the baby. She cares. Yeah, I mean, about... she cares about Mansa's son too. But as, you know, mm-hmm. why couldn't you know? Why wasn't she thinking? Well, fuck this. I'm just getting out of here and riding south by myself. You know, like or you know. Whether that would have been really stupid, that she's is been, such a natural reaction. She's been taking care of this baby since it was literally born. I mean, right. like, she, and she's been nursing it herself. I mean, like, I think she's invested in its well-being to a point where she's probably, like, could never see it die, I would imagine. I mean, I think it's because she cares. I mean, like, she hates it. Obviously, it's horrific. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's just fear. I think it's... You know. No, I don't think it's just. No, fear. I don't think she fears John, but I do think she's in the habit of complacency. I would tip the scales more towards she understood that it was necessary, but there is definitely still a factor of. I mean, it's a little of both, really. But yeah, that's what I felt that it was just a little of both, but more that she feels it's necessary. That's kind of where I land on it. Yeah, because she's so tough at the going away scene. Like, you know, she's like telling John, she's like, you're going to take care of my fucking kid the way that I want him taken care of. So that's why I feel like it's like she just knows it's literally the only way to save this kid's life. Um, But it is absolutely horrific. I mean, as if poor Gilly hasn't been through a fucking night. I mean, she's, yeah. So John promises her that they'll teach her son to ride, hunt and fight and even to read and write. And that when he's old enough, they'll tell him the truth and he'll be free to find her. And you'll make a crow of him is what Gilly accuses him of. And and she's not wrong. And I thought, you know, this was something that, you know, I think that, frankly, you know, there's people on this podcast that this is, they're the ones that even make me think about this. That, you know, yeah, Craster is this piece of shit, but, you know, the wildlings have their own culture. And, you know, both Gilly's son and Mansa's son are really denied their cultural heritage here. And, it, you know, it's kind of like, yes, there's larger, there's larger threats at the time, but we, you know, we sort of dismiss that among Gilly's many complaints that, yeah, like, it's really important. We see in that goodbye scene that it's really important to her that her son is raised as, you know, free folk. Her Not son is, you know, she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't want him raised as a kneeler. Like, she wants him raised as, you know, who he is. I thought that a lot this was your, your thing that you could grab onto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so mad at John. I can't even think. I don't think there's, I don't know. Um, I just, I, I can't imagine being in Gilly's position and mm-hmm. going quietly into that good night. <laughs> I'd be a shrinker. I mean, on the other hand, I'm not that mad at John. I mean, what's John supposed to do? He knows Melisandre is going to see almost any plot that he comes up with. And this is like by far his best option to get the baby away from the wall. I get well, it. Yeah, and I don't think it's his idea either. You know, this is Eamon's idea. Eamon, yeah. 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 He's he's coming off Scott Kalina. He's got like the, oh, I'm just old and blind. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one's blaming him for this shit. Another like, baby. I, just, I just looked, Kyle, and you were right. He he does tell her. He does tell her the idea. 
It's not. She doesn't just figure it out. Oh, he does. Girl, you were right. Okay. Oh. Ah, sweet. That what was that again? I, I, you cut out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't oh. even me. Why am I doing that? I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, Gilly leaves and Sam is next for his audience. And it, it kind of strikes me. This is one of those chapters. And, and George writes a lot of these where, like, the POV sits somewhere. And then all these people come to visit him. And it's totally because it's just harder and annoying to write those transitions of, like, the oh character whose POV is moving to I different places. I never place. thought of that before. But you're so fucking right. So that's why it's like we've we've read a couple of Tyrion chapters like this, and there's a you know a Jamie chapter like this. Yeah, it's the I don't want to write them walking around. Oh God! I like the writing equivalent of um the what is the the guy who does like the three hour long YouTube reviews of the Star Wars films? Oh God, I would not know. I'm the wrong person. What? Oh, I know who you mean. His review of um, the last of the prequel films, where he, his basic critique is that George Lucas didn't want to like walk around, so all the characters <laughs> sit on couches. It's <laughs> the writing equivalent of that. Um, so anyway, Sam comes in, and John shows Sam the letter, and it's um, we find out that it's a letter to Tommen. And John, you know, tells Sam about meeting, you know, our sweet little golden kitten king at Winterfell and how he was, like, chubby and, like, (laughs) kind of unfavorably compares him to Bran. And Sam gives him this odd look, which, you know, we don't know, but – or John doesn't know why, but we know because Sam knows that Bran is really alive. Um, One of those little interesting things the audience knows more than John and we find out that this letter is just it's like this lame ass explanation of the Iron Throne reaffirming the Night's Watch neutrality and they're like oh you know Stannis is helping them but we haven't pledged ourselves to him we've just given him food shelter and castles (laughs) like like, you guys really broke your vow of neutrality but I think the thing is is like no one in King's Landing could possibly give a shit and (laughs) You know, they're talking about this, and they're talking about Tywin in the present tense. So one of the questions I had was, and I don't know if we know this or if we're just going to have conjecture about it, but is this happening in the timeline before Tywin is killed? Because I know that it overlaps a bit. Or is this just the news hasn't made it up to the wall yet? I think it's actually before. Okay. I believe. But don't quote me. I haven't looked at that timeline in a long time. Yeah, because wouldn't like... Wouldn't, like, ravens go out, you know, if the yeah. hand of the king's dead? I mean, I feel like that'd get there pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, pretty quickly. And, you know, John and Sam, they're genuinely worried that Tywin would, like, march up north and, like, take over the Night's Watch. And, yeah. you know, it makes you wonder, you know, how what would, you know, would they have been much more overt in their support of Stannis if they knew that Tywin, Tywin was dead or if they had really a clear idea of... um what's happening in King's Landing, because, I mean, genuinely speaking, I feel like they could have completely declared allegiance to Stannis and the Iron Throne wasn't, wasn't going to do a damn thing about it. I mean, yeah, but would they know that? I yeah, don't no, know. I mean, they don't have any idea, yeah. Yeah, but, I, yeah, I don't know. But another thing I was going to say about the timeline is you, you kind of have to keep in mind, we're actually, you know, like, these are also the beginning chapters of Feast. This is, you know, like right. one of Sam's first chapters in Feast that we actually see from John's perspective this time. So, yeah, I think we're definitely backward. But, yeah, like, I don't know. It is so funny to think about how when when John is thinking about the kings, he's thinking about Stannis and Tywin. You know, like, he doesn't even really, you know. I mean, he thinks about Tommen for a minute, but Tywin's really the king. Yeah. Uh, well, but would he know enough to know that the rest of the Lannisters couldn't get their acts together well enough to be a threat to anybody? I don't know. Well, they yeah. could have sent proxies, though. I mean, they could have induced the Boltons or somebody up there to, you know march up to the wall if they were if they had because you know the north seems to take the night's watch pretty seriously and if they were basically declaring for kings and breaking their oaths and shit like that i mean what what value would they you know what i mean i feel like you the you could sell to the north basically going getting them to go against the night's watch the night's watch is fucking around yeah, I, but, I mean mm-hmm. i feel like the last thing on earth Bruce bolton would be interested in doing is highlighting to everyone that oh hey guys ned stark's bastard is lord commander of the night's watch maybe we should you know <laughs> fuck him up like no i think you want to be like yeah 
uh, this chick right here, it's the only connection to Ned you have. <laughs> like, this is it. But it's, it's funny how they're already kind of vaguely alluding to Ramsey as the wild card in the Bolton camp. I think people know Roose is maybe a little more irrational, but it seems like everybody kind of knows that Ramsey is absolutely, you know, yeah, off his goddamn rocker. So, um, so John, you know, John decides he's going to sign this letter, letter and tells Sam to give it to Eamon to send. And then he tells Sam that he's sending Gilly away and asks Sam for a report on what he's learned about the others. And, you know, Sam talks about, like, opening these books and the pages are crumbling away as he's touching them. And, um, you know, he can only find records of, like, 600 commanders of the Night's Watch, not, you know, 998, like, in theory they are. Which really, like, 600 commanders, like, that's a hell of a lot of history. Like, just for the record, mm-hmm. those are some huge books that he's looking at. Um he talks. He sees all these mentions of dragon glass and dragon steel, which um, Sam and John both think must mean Valerian steel. And then John wants to know if Sam's found anything on who the others are, where they come from, and what they want. And it's like, yeah, us too, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Sam, Sam hasn't found anything, and he he needs more time. So John tells him, "Time's up." Um, He's I like going how, south. Sorry, I just say I oh, like how ahead. I like how bored John is getting when like Sam gets all know it all y with like what he's discovered. It's like, yeah, anything useful? Yeah, yeah. I think there's <laughs> no, a, but, I think but there's what a he's omitting. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. I was, was going to say I think there's a because I know this the, in the Feast for Crows there's a Sam chapter that tells the same thing from his perspective, and I think if you read both of them, like they emphasize each they each kind of overlook different parts of the conversation. So it's kind of interesting to see that like there's parts of his dialogue. The Sam's dialogue that's missing here because John just kind of glazes over. But you can like <laughs> read so it in that other chapter. Yeah. Well, um, and I'm pretty sure there's something that kind of is uh, more uh, John as a Targaryen foreshadowy in it from Sam's side. It's been a long time, guys, but you know, like I, th- I think that's where those hints are. It's funny how they're not in John's yeah. chapter; they're in Sam's. There was so also John, that. Oh, I'm sorry, Guy. No, There's no, also that brief, brief bit where John kind of just glibly states, "Oh, so I just convinced everybody with a Valerian yeah. blade to join the fight." I'm like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Like, that's that's the plan." <laughs> there um, is a reason these great houses all have this sword. So John tells Sam that time's up because he's going to send him south with Gilly and Master Eamon, and he's sending them to Old Town, and he explains that Eamon needs to go for his own safety, and that this will give Sam a chance to send Gilly and her son to Horn Hill, and then even better, Sam can study at the Citadel. And John really thinks Sam should be thrilled with this deal, but Sam is upset because he knows his father would be horrified that his son has entered a life of servitude, which I always found kind of confusing because I, I don't really understand how the life of a maester is servitude, yet life in the Night's Watch isn't like it just seems like boy randall's well really, like, one has one has like a, a a vaguely heroic like yeah you know patina i mean granted <laughs> the, it's pretty rough at this stage of the game but i mean at one time it was an honorable thing to do and one will get you killed faster so yeah true, true. vaguely um, heroic so- patina i love that <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> write that down please <laughs> I was like, yeah, um, you got to think of, like, the duties you're performing, too, as a mace, right? You're, like, lancing some fat shit's boils and... <laughs> like, like Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this night, you know, there's this classic passage, um, well, not one of the classic pass- passages in this chapter. Um, kill the boy, John thought. The boy in you and the one in him. Kill them both. Kill the both of them, you bloody bastard. You have no father, only brothers, only us. Your life belongs to the Night's Watch, so, so go and stuff your small clothes into a sack, along with anything else you care to take to Old Town. You leave an hour before sunrise, and here's another order. From this day forth, you will not call yourself a craven. you faced more things this past year than most men face in a lifetime. You can face the Citadel, but you'll face it as a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. I can't command you to be brave, but I can command you to hide your fears. You said the word, Sam, remember? I'll try. You won't try. You will obey. <laughs> like John, kind of like Yoda, yodeing there at the end. I thought that was um, more like a Stannis-like line. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I mean, well, and I, I love how John is just like, God, do you know what I just fucking put Gilly through? Quit whining. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you, yeah. Because I mean, there is like him being, you know, like 
on paper, this should be Sam's dream. He mm-hmm. gets to go do what he wanted to do. He gets to be with know, keep woman. this connection with Gilly. And, you know, he kind of gets to play the hero in sending, you know, Eamon south. And, yeah, Sam is, like, so hesitant about it. So, you know, Sam leaves and John remembers Eamon's final advice. And it's about Egg, and it's, like, the classic passage. So I feel like we're morally obliged to read it. You are. <laughs> John was tired. I need sleep. He had been up half the night poring over maps, writing letters, and making plans with Master Eamon. Even after stumbling into his narrow bed, rest did not come easily. He knew what he would face today and found himself tossing restlessly as he brooded on Master Eamon's final words. Allow me to give my lord one last piece of counsel, the old man had said. The same counsel that I once gave my brother when we parted for the last time. He was three and thirty when the great council chose him to mount the Iron Throne, a man grown with sons of his own, yet in some ways still a boy. Egg had an an innocence to him, a sweetness we all loved. Kill the boy within you, I told him the day I took the ship for the wall. It takes a man to rule. An egg and not an egg. Kill the boy and let the man be born. The old man felt John's face. You are half the age that egg was, and your own burden is a crueler one, I fear. You will have a little joy of your command, but I think you have the strength in you to do the things that must be done. Kill the boy, John Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I don't, you know, it's really good advice, but oh, is it terrible, right? Like, John is what, 16? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just, ugh. It's heart, you know, it's heartbreaking because when we, you know, just think of like one of the, some of the very first chapters we get at John at the Wall, and how when he finds out that Bran's gonna live, you know, that's what he's, you know, twirling Tyrion through the air, and you know, he's yeah. just like he has a light, you know, he has a light heart even despite you know his upbringing and everything that's still in him then, and you know now he's like fallen in love and you know saw his, saw her killed and I mean just. You know, lost friends, lost his father, his brothers, you know, it's just like he talks about the things that have happened to Sam or that Sam's done in the last year and then think of what John's done. And now that's like, you know, yeah. oh, you get to like now you've done like all this other stuff and now you get to be the one like doing it to other people, basically. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I mean, he's having to hurt people. I mean, there there's a pretty direct parallel between, you know, the fact that he has had to, you know. He's he's playing this game of of hiding infants and stuff, much in the same way that you know Ned hit him as a baby. I mean, like he's having to make these really difficult decisions that you know are going to have repercussions, you know, for years and years, and like totally affect and frankly can ruin people's lives. I mean, like the the power that you can see he's he's trying to to kind of grapple with the power that he knows that he has and that he has to just kind of turn off like his emotional reaction to some of this stuff, where he just can't deal with it you know i mean it it is really heartbreaking yeah and and you can just see throughout the chapter how much he took kill the boy to heart right because every time he has to like be stern like especially with gilly um like i I don't know how many times he says it just like thinks it as like the conversation he's having with her like one of the times where he says um like he thinks kill the boy and like when he tells that you will take him or I promise you the day that they burn a uh, Dallas boy, yours will die as well. And that just, yeah. I, and that made me think of Jamie with um, Edmure and the threat he made to him. Oh, totally. The there. That's yeah. That's a really good point. Boy, we should just be like, assuming that John would have done it and actually, in fact, did it. Like, we shouldn't even take it as a threat. We should condemn him, you know, we should condemn him for the words right now. Um, also, just as a complete aside, can we just break down the egg thing? So he was 33 when he was king, and so we know Dunk was like 10 years older, so Dunk was 43. So unless Dunk was part of Maker's Kingsguard, which seems unlikely because that would really limit, I think, the Dunk and Egg stories. I mean, Dunk was married at least once, right? Like, all this Dunk littering bastards all over the place. No, <laughs> Dunk was like married probably several times before he entered the Kingsguard. Just for the oh. record. And that's just conjecture. We really have no goddamn idea. And, right. And nor will we ever. But <laughs> just like. Oh, no. I just want to say Duncan he was like 43 right. years old. So we do a re- is it too early to do a reread of Duncan oh, Egg? That'd be, that'd be <laughs> lovely. 
<laughs> I was on that I first just... episode y'all did. That was my first time. Aww. Was it really? Oh, yeah, it was. First time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, reminiscing. Um, so anyway, so John patrols the wall and he learns that Stan has sent some envoys, which include Justin Ma- uh, Justin Massey, who's like a cult. He's like the um, Boba Fett of the fire fandom. Star Wars references? You're killing me, guys. <laughs> but yet you know it's a Star Wars reference. Oh, See, yeah. like that, that proves it's it called enough. oversaturation. <laughs> <laughs> and so... They're, you know, the, his envoys are going south, so presumably they're going to the the mountain clans. Um, and then he he wakes up at the hour of the wolf to see Sam, Gilly, and Eamon off on their journey. And Master Eamon mentions that he marked a passage in a book called the Jade Compendium for him. And I did – this is the thing I, ha- I had to look this up because I – this is like the interesting thing with doing these one-off chapters is sometimes you have to go back and forth mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out what we should know <laughs> from it. So this one, um, this chapter we find out later – or this um, book we find out later that Eamon marks for him is that it's a note that Lightbringer produces heat. And, you know, notably, we know that Stannis' sword is cold to the touch. So, dun, dun, dun. so we kind of planted the seed for John to have um, some major doubts about who or what Stannis is at this point. Well, and I love it that we know that Eamon has kind of, you know, started to hear a little bit about Danny and that he's already having thoughts about who Danny might actually be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that context. So, uh, so John, you know, promises Gilly that they won't name her son until he's two, and then Sam and Ed say goodbye, and it's this great, this great headline. And to you, Sam said, Dolores Ed, your boat's not like to sink. I don't think boats only sink when I'm aboard. <laughs> Which, he's so great. <laughs> he's the best. Can I tell and you then, though, of course, this real thing about naming a child past two yeah. is a real thing. Um, I went to a. Oh, a heritage uh, village on, in the summer. And um, I think it was five years old was like the typical age, at, like the uh, prior to the turn of the century that you waited to name your child. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, so many of them died. So my yeah, husband constantly, like with my seven year old, it's like, I like her. Let's give her a name. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. It's just a little morbid humor. That's why I married him. (laughs) So then uh, we get to Sam and John's goodbye, which is, you know, again, heartbreaking. Um, You know, they're talking about Gilly, and she has more courage than she knows, said Sam. So do you, Sam. Have a swift, safe voyage and take care of her and Eamon and the child. The cold trickles on his face reminded John of the day he'd bid farewell to Rob at Winterfell never knowing that it was for the last time. And pull it, and pull your hood up. The snowflakes are melting in your hair. And I'm not oh. crying. There's something in my eye. <laughs> Somebody did a gift set of this once with the line from that chapter in oh. A Game of Thrones, and it's so sad. I don't give a shit. You know what I give a shit about? <laughs> Gilly and her goddamn baby. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just... <laughs> No, I feel no. bad for Gilly, too. Are you kidding? That's what I was talking about, though. She's so tough here. She's right. just like, you are going to stick to what you told me. <laughs> like, She's tougher than me. I well, <laughs> and I mean, some of us might have wrote, written an 18, like an 18 post thread about how Gilly is the strongest character in the series. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that she was in, uh, you know, Davos Fingers does the... A song of madness uh 64 character tournament and i don't think that gilly was in it which is kind of a really i don't think so or maybe maybe i don't think she was if she was she didn't make it past the first round i think she's a bit definitely um, didn't if she was in it she didn't make that first round she's definitely underrated although i don't know if you guys have heard but there's chatter about them doing a all fray tourney this summer um which should be really fun (laughs) Wait, how is she ending up in that? Just like, she's not. Oh. Let's just put aside. Let's just put her okay. in there. Can we redo a write-in? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, all phrase and Gilly. Um, <laughs> anyways, back, back on task here. So <laughs> Sam leaves, and John gets to his next task, which involves you know basically manning other areas of the of the wall. He sends a short man named Bedwick with a small group of men to refurbish and man Ice Mark. 
And, you know, Bedwick generally seems like pretty up to the task. Um, I think like other than he's short, apparently, which, you know, hey, I'm totally cool with that. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm taking it so personally. <laughs> is, is this your is this your exact height, Guile? Well, how how tall was Bedwick? I think he said five foot and a hair or something like that. Yeah, yeah a tall. hair and a half over five. Like, yeah. I'm a hair taller than that, but yeah, Bedwick and I are <laughs> eye to eye. Um, <laughs> so he gives the same orders for Greyguard, um, and Jano Slint basically tries to nope the fuck out of it. And he's super rude and arrogant about refusing to obey this direct order and very comfortable that his friends in the Night's Watch and from King's Landing will protect him. And John, you know, kind of gives him the night to change his mind, but the next morning he's still, like, yucking it up and being a dick about it. <laughs> and, you know, when put to the test, though, all of Slint's friends fall away. They're, they're really not willing to put up, put their lives on the line for him. And John orders his men to take Slint to the wall. And then he mentally goes through his options. You know, should he send him to an ice cell? Should, should he tie him to his horse? But then he realizes there's only one thing to do, which is hang him. And, you know, once he says that, for a moment, again, it looks like a fight may break out. But at the end, everyone stands down. And everyone kind of streams out out into the courtyard, essentially, to see what's going to happen next. Like, I'm just picturing, you know, like the scene from The Quiet Man with the big fight where the whole village kind of <laughs> comes comes out, except much more morbid. And, you know, there's men of the Night's Watch. There's Stannis' men, Val, and even Stannis himself. And um, we have the classic passage from this chapter. This is wrong, John thought. Stop. Emmett turned back, frowning. My lord? I will not hang him, said John. Bring him here. Oh, seven save us, he heard Bowen Marsh cry out. The smile that Lord Jano Slint smiled then had all of the sweetness of rancid butter, until John said, Ed, fetch me a block, an unsheathed long claw. <laughs> I think this sweetness of rancid butter is like such a great line. Like, yeah. Who can't picture that in their head? Like, it's just, oh, yeah. Almost as good as vaguely heroic patina. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's up there. So uh, Slint protests and tries to change his mind, but it's too late. Um, John executes him, and Owen the Oaf almost immediate, immediately asks if he can have his boots, which like, reminds me of when anyone ever quits a job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can I have a stapler? I have a stapler. on the keyboard. I get the hole punch. <laughs> right, like the vultures like immediately descend. And then, you know, we have the we have the moment that is like the ultimate delight of all the fanboys and fangirls everywhere. Uh, John glanced back at Stannis. For an instant, their eyes met. Then the king <laughs> nodded and went back inside his tower. And that's how the chapter ends. But it's like, oh, that nod. It's like the nod that launched a thousand ships. You know? <laughs> I have never heard of the ship. <laughs> really? Well, you I haven't? Like, no. Oh, oh my god. I'm- Good. <laughs> like actually John Stannis fanfic? I've oh, never yeah. sought it out. I can't. Oh, big time. <laughs> I mean, I don't think of them as like, you know, like they're obviously not John and Davos, but there's totally a bromance. <laughs> oh, big time. A, oh, yeah, because there are a few lines, too. It's like, what is it? One time John thinks, like, what does he want me to do? Kiss him about Stannis? <laughs> and, I don't know. Yeah, like, there's, I mean, the characters, again, like, the characters have chemistry because they're so perfect, they're perfect foils for each other, really, in a way, because... Yeah. The emo and the teeth grinder, my mind just never went there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have such, like, it's, it's, they have these, like, pretty epic political, like, battles of the will, but at the same time they like each other. It's very clear that they begrudgingly like get and like one another. So it's like, they're kind of at odds a lot of the time, but at the same time, you know, they just, you know, you get these little scenes like the nod. I get why it's a ship. I totally get why it's a ship. I'm not saying I ship it, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I get it. Don't like it. I mean, I really, I don't do want them to. Uh, <laughs> oh, do you not want them to bang? I don't really want them to bang, but um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, they work well together. Um, anything else on this ship? On this on this ship? <laughs> um, you know. I feel like this is like. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I feel like this is the the um, the phrase that keeps popping into my head when I read this chapter is like adulting like a boss. Yeah. Because this is, yeah, this is sort of, and no one who ever says that is someone who's like an actual like grown ass man or whatever. But it's usually like a younger person who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm doing my thing. That's kind of what John's doing here, basically. Um, there are definitely like underlying problems that you'll see like as it goes along with his sort of leadership style where he's kind of commanding the Night's Watch as he wants it to be and not how it actually is. Uh. Like in the Sam chapter where we see this from his perspective, you kind of see on the ground how a lot of his friends are pissed that he's become really remote and not really like engaging with people and stuff because – yeah, at this point, like, the Night's Watch is so decrepit as an institution that you do have to have, like, you know... Personal, I mean, personal yeah, exactly. relationships got him elected, you know? He yeah. kind of... I think, like, he takes, you know, perhaps he takes the kill the boy too far, you know, because he sends away, you know, he sends away Ed and Pip and Gren. Like, he sends away these people that I think everyone in the Watch kind of likes and could be advocates for him. Yeah, all his support. Like that, yeah. I, that, that plays a part in getting him killed. Like that, right. all of his support is going. Nobody to back his plays whenever he makes his decisions on anything. Well, and people always talk about how, like, oh, he's he's being too Ned here. He's being too Ned. But it's like Ned actually did a really good job, like cultivating personal relationships with his people. It's That's almost like true. the problem is he's trying to like imitate Stannis. Stannis, and just yeah. be like this, be this like hard ass who just rules through fear and an iron fist. But he, you know, he isn't like experienced enough, I think, or maybe he doesn't have the temperament to quite, quite work that way. And plus, you know, I mean, House Baratheon, whatever, however cracked it is and however fractious his coalition has become, you know, there's still some degree of prestige there. Like the Night's Watch has basically just become a glorified penal colony yeah. at this point. So, well, and I think he he's trying to, you know, I hate to say rule because that's the wrong, it's not quite the right word, but I think he's trying to rule through like moral imperative too because. You know, letting the you know letting the wildlings through, let you know doing some of these things is like the right. It is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and he's counting on, you know, he's counting on that, and he's kind of he's counting on that being enough to sway people. But you know, it, it's not like no matter how right you are, I think you still have to do that grunt work, and that's the kind of work that people like Sam, that Gren, that Pip, like that those people could do for him, and he just doesn't really have anyone. You know, he doesn't have anyone to do that for him. And I wonder too, like how much of um, how much of his leadership style is due to Mance as well, because you know Mance kind of ruled through, you know, he ruled through his own, you know, his own charisma, but he also ruled through kind of the acknowledgement that there was this greater cause, and that that was, you know, he rallied everyone behind the cause of you know getting on the other side of the wall to save, every, you know, to save everyone's lives basically. Yeah. And well, I feel like John's this... taking a little bit of that. I mean, yes. I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, throughout dance, um, a lot of John's struggle is uh, is basically finding a way to bury the things that, you know, Jon Snow, um, son of Ned Stark, wants to do for himself and his family and, and kind of doing his his duty. And I think, you know, especially when you have the reference to like, Tywin here and yes Stannis the way that he's looking at how the kings are handling things um he's he's trying to do the kind of ice cold you know get the emotions out of this I just have to do the right thing for everybody and I can't let you know any sort of uh personal whatever get into anything which I think is actually part of the reason I mean like yes, he, agrees to send, he agrees to send Sam away, but he, you know, I mean, he doesn't have to send Sam. No, he does it though. And I think it's because he is in a way trying to isolate himself from feeling those emotions. I think he doesn't want anyone near him that makes him feel soft throughout dance. You kind of see him, you know, trying to draw well, that mean, line. And uh, yeah, I yeah. think this is a big part of it. It's, it's, he kind of walls himself off from, from part of his human side and, in the end, that's what literally gets right. him killed. And then the irony that there's no one left to, there's, you know, he kind of has, he kind of reacts, not, he, he kind of over, well, not overreacts, but he, he just doesn't have anyone to talk him down from, well, he from just the decisions he makes he at the end. I think what it comes down to, I'm sure what George is trying to say is that uh, no Targaryen can stuff their emotions for this long, um, I think is kind of what the end of dance is about, but 
I oh. hope not because I mean, like he's he's a Stark too. Like there's you know like yeah. that kind of that kind of annoys me as a woman to just be like, oh, he's a Targaryen, can't keep that. No, you know, I mean clearly he's a Stark. Down. I mean, there's no question that there's a lot of Stark in there, but I think. I think what George is going for is like no Targaryen can behave this rationally for this long without finally letting, you know, what they personally want take over for a while, which is what happens at the end. Well, and I mean, I don't know that his I mean, his decision at the end is, you know, doesn't work out well. But I mean, it's like it's not that irrational to be like, you know, yeah, my little sister is, you know, being held by, you know, a madman and this is you know a terrible you know this is a terrible situation i want to save my family like yeah you know it goes against everything goes against all of the rules but you right, know it's not right. an irrational decision really you know it's really well, it's not an irrational decision for a man i guess it's not a rational decision for a leader would maybe be the way to put it a good leader maybe but yeah it's yeah. poor john i mean he's really like you just you know, it's sometimes it's hard to read these chapters knowing what's going to happen, but it's sort of like, oh, he's just, you know, you kind of like, yeah, you can kind of feel like, oh, he's, you know, he's like, I think as Jake said, like he's adulting, like, you know, he got his laundry done, he cooked some dinner, he did, you know, he balanced his checkbook, like he's, he's doing okay, you know, but um, it's just, he's all, you know, he's kind of all alone, like, he even kind of screwed him, <laughs> like, honestly. Well, I don't think intentionally. No, no, absolutely not. But I mean, he's in an impossible situation. And I I think that's part of the story. And that's part of it's kind of like what you were talking about with where, you know, like, he's not doing bad things or wrong things. I mean, it's not his fault that he can't convince the Night's Watch that they need to stop thinking of the wildlings as enemies. I mean, you know, there's there's not. There's even people on the ground. I was going to say, there's a terrible situation here. Yeah, there's even people on the ground right now, like, complaining that, like, oh, we have to build so much when the last guy was in charge, you know, but it's like, you realize your, like, fort is in ruins, and there's, like, a, you know, an army of, uh, you know, walking dead coming to kill you all, like, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's, it's still clear that, like, so many people, even within his own organization, don't understand what's going on, and it's just, it's, how do you, how do you make that threat real to people before it hits, you know? yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, like, honestly, I don't know how much more these people need than what they've seen. Well, look at the world we live in right now. Like, there's a great climate shift coming that, you know, people have been given a ton of evidence for. And they, you know, they, (laughs) hey, there's still food in the store. My AC still works. Like, everything's fine. What's wrong? You know, (laughs) it's actually a very good analogy. Very good. Yeah. Which is, you know, applicable. (laughs) Oh. As as many of these chapters will be going forward, <laughs> I, I suspect. Uh, any other comments on this chapter before we get to the mail? There is one thing I just wanted to point out. It's at the yeah. end, like when Slint starts like begging for his life or whatever after talking all that shit. There's a line passes which is no thought, John. You closed that door. Oh, I know. I thought about us. <laughs> 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 I still, you know, it still cracks me up when I think. There are probably there are probably many people who have no idea what the name of this podcast means because kind of <laughs> because like it. it was I know it makes it kind of mysterious that the line was you know never used in Game of Thrones so therefore it's you know it's a mystery it means nothing I still wait you know I guess if we I still wait for the day that somehow that makes it into a script but clearly it's never going to happen um, yeah so yeah do we have any mail lot. Uh, we have one big juicy letter um, came in through the email. So hope you guys like Heil Hunt because this is like all about Heil. <laughs> oh, really? Sweet. <laughs> so the letter begins. Hey, folks, my questions about Heil Hunt. So I hope Kama is on this episode. I know she's a Heil fan. Also, is she's she? neat. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's not, but we do agree she's neat. You'll have to put up with us. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, Heil is one of my favorite side characters and is one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of Brienne's feast arc. I love his sarcasm and his humor at appropriate times. I love his opportunism and how he's always searching for an angle. And then she quotes, Hanging seems your favorite sport in these parts, said Sir Heil Hunt. Would that I have had... 
land whereabouts, I'd plant hemp, sell rope, and make my fortune. He's an entrepreneur. That's my line. (laughs) (laughs) So I love the ways in which he comes off as a diet Jamie. I love that in a series filled with melodramatic evil, we have a character whose greatest wrong that we know of is more mundane. Still bad, but more relatable to real-world experiences. And I love that he saves Sam from drowning, amongst other things. But as of now, his character and purpose in the series is at an impasse. Heil is supplementary to Brienne and meant to contrast with the men in her life that she does fall in love with. And then, uh, well, Renly, Jamie, though Renly was in love, show that she is desirable to others as a catch. Highlight her insecurities and the way she works through her issues with men, sexism, and sexism. Um, so my question is, what do you see happening with Heil in Winds? And then she has some theories, but let's see what you guys think first, I think. <laughs> Any theories? Well, Gile thinks he's dead. You think he's dead, don't you, Gile? Well, I, I, yeah, I kind of think he's dead, but I also, I also, I, I do think he's dead, but I also think he could play a foil for Jamie. That would be really fun to write. And you know, George has been yapping a lot about Lady Stoneheart lately, so maybe, you know, maybe it's not just like a one-and-done kind of one-pager thing in wins. Like, maybe there is something more in-depth, so maybe he will be alive for longer. But yeah, I just feel like there has to be some consequences to, you know, them getting captured, and I feel like Heil is the consequence. Mm. I agree. I do. I, I, I kind of am a big Heil fan myself. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, agree. I mean, I love, I, I love Heil. Like, yeah, he, you know, I don't love him for Brienne. I don't no. think Brienne should be with him. No. I don't think any of that, but you know, Heil could, you know, Heil could be a good, you know, a good guy. And he is totally diet Jamie. That's a great description. <laughs> or Jamie light. I think we prefer yeah. him as yeah, that as we well. We call him Jamie light a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think he's alive, just FYI. I do Good. think he's alive. I hope you're right. I, I, I mean, like, I, f- I feel like he's probably one of those people who'll just kind of, like, Like, actually plant his hemp and, like, make some, ed- you know, have some edibles. Yeah, some he's the kind of, like, you know, 80% asshole who comes out of everything fine. I, you know, yeah. and I, I mean, I know that's your jam, is 80% asshole. That's I, mean, like, I, I don't hate Niall. I, I, don't I know, anything, no, like, I know. I like, you know, obviously I'm mad at him on Brienne's behalf, but I don't I don't think he's a horrible person. He's a lot worse than Heil in the Song of Ice and Fire. That's for goddamn sure. That's what kills me is when I read like these like long treatises on how horrible Heil is. I'm like, oh my god, Heil's like in the top like <laughs> I'm 10%. always like you can spot somebody who's only read the Jamie Brienne chapters by how mad they are about Heil. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, yeah, I think she has um, mentioned this a bit too. But my favorite Heil moment is when they're like carrying him away to be hung, and he's like, "I'll do it. I'll kill Jamie." <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, who among us wouldn't be like, you know, I'm not in love with them. Like, I'll give me a sword. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> and also, like Heil is the underrated George Bailey of A Song of Ice and Fire. If you think of, you know, George <laughs> saved his brother, and his brother saved the men on that ship. If George had saved Harry, though Harry wouldn't have been alive to save them. So, like, you know, Hyle saved Sam. Sam, you know, Sam might save the whole frickin' world. So, so Hyle Hyle Hunt. Save the world. Right. Hyle Hunt, savior of the world. I'll bet this is not where the person who sent that letter expected this conversation to go. (laughs) I will say that I feel like the fact that obviously there are many, like, very obvious fun nicknames to call someone named Heil Hunt does make me think that he will survive long enough for Jamie to meet him. If only for Jamie to like purposely mispronounce his, his or misname him in insulting ways. <laughs> you know, like, if he's not called Kyle Hunt at some point, I don't know if we're reading the same books. Like clearly there should be a hundred percent chance of that happening. Uh, so I, uh... That's good. (laughs) So she finishes the letter with, thanks for reading. My next question will probably be about Tyrion, who I've really come to appreciate as a character over my reread. So I don't know if she's been listening along, but uh, sorry if you're catching up now. (laughs) So I hope that won't be too much of a damper on your break from the twisted monkey demon right now. Okay, so I guess she is caught up. (laughs) Have a nice day, (laughs) night existence. (laughs) 
Oh, that was nice. Yeah, I like that. That was really good. Cute. Um, any other Heil Hunt thoughts, anyone? Other than that, he's awesome. <laughs> no, good. Okay. I love that no. we left like very little room for other thoughts. Yeah, I know. Like, sorry about that. We really <laughs> we're very strong opinions about Heil Hunt of all characters. <laughs> Only this podcast. The official podcast pile hunt. Um, <laughs> we might, you know, we're as close as there is to an official podcast pile hunt. I'm just going to say it. Well, all right, uh, ladies and occasional gentlemen, I think that's it. Gentlemen. No, sorry. Gentlemen is plural. Yeah. I know, but man sounds great. Um, <laughs> man sounds more fun, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we love getting your we love getting your comments. You can write to us at close the I was gonna say this okay. My brain is completely mentally fried at this point because I was literally gonna say, you can write to us at kill the boy at Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> God What is happening? I don't Actually, know. Can, I wonder if someone has that. Yeah. You can specifically not write to us at that address. You can, however, send us email to close the door and at gmail.com. You can find us at Tumblr at close the door and come here. On Twitter at door podcast and Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the places. And if you're super, super special, you can become our Patreon, and you receive special benefits, including early episodes and special releases. And with that, ladies and occasional gentlemen, <laughs> I'm going to close the door. Get out. That was fun. Oh, you know what I forgot to do, Chicky, is I never asked why you picked this chapter, which probably would have been a really good question for the start of the Sorry. Oh, I just love John so much, and I feel like this is peak John right here. It was so nice to, like, talk about a different storyline and different, you know, a different POV. Like, just, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait for the rest of these. Oh, shit, Yeah. Did he really have to tell Gilly to burn her hand in a candle? <laughs> oh, that's totally gratuitous. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, very unnecessary. I meant to bring that up, and I totally forgot. Unnecessary candle burning. <laughs> that seems like something he practiced in his head where he's like, yeah, and I, that'll get her to think about how hot it's going to be when the kid's burning alive. Like that she needs that association to get it together. I'm sure she has no familiarity with fire. Right. <laughs> And then there's Lon. Um, you saved your boy from the ice, save hers from fire. I imagine oh, George yeah. wrote that and like kicked his feet up, put his hands behind oh, his head, and was yeah. like, "Yep, that's yeah. it." Oh, this yeah. is totally going yeah. in a, as a bonus clip at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like-